Hi, and welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm George Williams. I'm Joe Anderson. Joe, today is a special day. I know, we've got the legend. The, the absolute legend <laughs> in root cause failure analysis, the one and only Mr. Bob Latino. I think you guys must have lost a bet. <laughs> <laughs> that just might be. <laughs> so I for won. those of you that don't know, Bob Bob is a principal with Practical Solutions. Prior to that, CEO of Reliability Center, Inc., uh, a 49-year-old reliability consulting firm specializing in improving equipment process and human reliability. Um, Bob is just like the author and the go-to person for root cause failure analysis. So we're probably going to talk about anything but root cause failure analysis. In this session. <laughs> no, actually, it'll be my business. <laughs> well, well, Bob, welcome to Practical Reliability. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's always a pleasure. So I, I, we introduced you as being part of Prolical Solutions. Can you uh, give us a little background there on on the change? I don't know. There might be some uh, infringement uh, things that y'all are worried about because the the name comes from the merge, the, the amalgamation of uh, practical reliability. And I'm not really sure. It must have been after a, a happy hour how, how it came together. But in the end, it's there for practical reliability. <laughs> So, Pro Prolico is my uh, my younger brother Ken's company, and uh, the, you know he he's uh, immersed in APM type of work, um, especially with the Meridium APM system and helping their customers out with, uh, you know, ma making sure they get out of the system what they paid into it. So uh, I I, uh, I with regards to Reliability Center, uh, I, I resigned a couple weeks ago. But that, this was all well-known. Uh, we were acquired, Reliability Center Incorporated was acquired about a year and a half ago. And, you know, we wanted the stability of, uh, you know, staying there for a year or so, so that, you know, nobody got, uh, you know, is all this change going to happen? So it came that time, and uh, I really wanted to work with my family again. I wanted to go work with my brothers. And uh, so I uh, went ahead and I essentially retired from there, and now I am working with Prelical Solutions is a let's see we, we, we did a we did a spin the wheel on a title what was my title I was principal. <laughs> it's principal. Uh, yeah, that, that was another happy hour thing, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, well, that's because we had to look up the proper spelling of the word principal for that situation. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that would that wouldn't look too good on a business card when we spelled it wrong. <laughs> Bob, I think I saw on LinkedIn you just released the fifth edition of your book. Is that correct? Well, the fifth edition's been out over over a year, but they uh, they uh, for whatever reason they they're out in paperback now. <laughs> so oh, right, right, right. That that's a that's a considerable uh, economic find because it's a, it's a lot cheaper to get the uh, uh, paperback than it is the the hardbacks, as we all know. Yeah, yeah. So, so is your special, so moving forward inside Prolico, are, are you still going to be heavily focused on root cause analysis? Well, it's, it's just, it's uh, going to be more diverse. Uh, he does a lot of the asset performance management work and, and I, and I can uh, do some of that type of work as well as the maintenance and reliability uh, strategy type consulting. So certainly root cause analysis is my, is my bailiwick and, uh, you know, from, from anything from the, the structure and the strategic setup of it. 
you know, to what you're working on, to the ROIs, to integrating to APM systems. You know, so I, I have a much more holistic view than the typical uh, end user in the field who might just be, you know, doing the task of RCA. I, I look at it from a much more uh, uh, systems perspective. So that's an interesting point. Um, uh, in your career, how has that changed? Is it still... You know, is it still ad hoc at most companies, or do you think they're embedding systems? No, I, I would say in general, it's uh, and this is kind of a, a principle of my own, spelled the other way, is the uh, that when we're, when we're talking about the an analysis is only as good as the analyst. <laughs> so you know, it, it's, you really got to have the will and the desire to do it the right way because all the tools are there. Uh, but, you know, we, we can certainly abuse the tools that are out there and make them useless. So uh, certainly, you know, FiveWise and Fishbone and, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of people that will uh, improperly use the, the cause and effect logic tree type of stuff. So, you know, I, I don't want to knock one versus the other. They all have their place, you know, that they all will have people say nice things about them. But it's how well you use them and to the breadth and depth that you use them, whether they're really effective or whether it's just a checklist venture and you say I'm compliant because in my career, co compliance really has nothing to do with the reliability or safety. So uh, you, you can be compliant with your RCA uh, task uh, all day long, but that doesn't mean that you're any safer or making more money. Yeah, that's the truth. Check, what check about you, Pat? I, I want to ask you that question. So for me, I, I firmly believe in a structured approach. I believe in the right tool when I believe in documentation that dictates when a root cause analysis will be required and which tools are used for different types of scenarios and, and, and firmly believe in providing people with extensive training. You know, I, I don't know for me, for me, the hardest part to teach somebody is to understand a problem statement. <laughs> <laughs> like everything from there is gravy and the problem statement seems like the simplest thing, but without a structured understanding of it being about the business impacts and various impacts that, that impact your business, it, like it, it just, it gets right to solutioning. Right. And, and right. structured approach helps get rid of that. Well, and I, I make this uh, apparent in, in all of my training, but you know, I, I think most people believe that we, uh, that people apply RCA on the basis of incidents. And I, I don't find that in reality to be the case. I think that we do RCAs on consequences. We don't do them on the incidents. And I, think that, I think that goes right to your point, George, because it's got to rise to a, a business level of where somebody important cares. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, they, they, you know, they don't care about a bearing or a shaft or a gear. Uh, but, you know, if they shut down your line for four hours, now they care. That's, that's, that's the real event in the case. That's what's going to, that's what ties an RCA to leadership is how you define that event. Otherwise, you know, they don't care about broken parts. Right. <laughs> that's for sure. I always go through a, an exercise when I, when I teach RCA that talks about me spilling a beer. And when we get to the problem statement, you know, everybody says you're drunk or you tripped or you dropped the beer. And I, and I try to whittle them down to no, I lost product. <laughs> it, it lost product. I mean, if I could have sucked it off the floor, I would have. <laughs> you know, when I uh, I used to do work in breweries, and, and uh, 
and they, they had they had signs all over the place in the brewery because there was beer definitely uh, uh, you know going onto flowing onto the floor and then it would be pitched into a drain. <laughs> but uh, they had signs everywhere that would say you know one ounce of beer equals this much money. So they were constantly reminding you of how much was being wasted if you accept that as a cost of doing business. I wonder how many cups are in those floor drains. I, I don't know. I was trying to pick it up myself, but <laughs> <laughs> so what? So over your career, what what's been, what's different? What's different in RCA? Say you know, fifteen twenty years ago to now, how's the industry approaching it differently? I, I wouldn't say that there's a, a massive shift. I, I think that there's more technologies and tools that make it easier to do it right, but. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the shift has to come from the, the people who uh, dictate that they want to, RCA to be done properly. Uh, I, I just think that, you know, you, you are hearing it more. I don't know if this matters, but you're hearing it more and more in the news these days. I don't know if you've picked up on it, but they're using the terms uh, root cause, and, yeah. and, uh, you know, root cause analysis. They, they don't really characterize it right, but at least they're using the terms. <laughs> that's a step in the right direction anyway well you know that, that's like the the uh ever overused pilot error you know this is the root cause and then you know you, you get into it and you say well you know they, they didn't really intend on that happening I don't think it was their intention for that outcome yeah, i think it's a level of political savvy they're just using the proper term to sound like they know what they're talking about versus you know, when you when you hear it in the news all the time and that type of stuff, I don't think they really want to understand what the underlying issues are. Well, you know, I think it's a it's a pet peeve for me when I hear things like that because, uh, and this gets back to the the name that everybody hates anyway. Nobody likes the term root cause analysis, even the people that do it and the providers like me, because it, it gives you the connotation that there's one root cause. Right. And and when the when you see the uh, people in the news using that. It's always in the singular form. It's not in the root causes. Right. And that's, that's where you know that they don't know what they're talking about. Is that yeah. uh, you know there's there's a, a combination of things that happen on any given day that, that cause these things to happen. Yeah. And you know I I I I write extensively about this, but you know that's the difference with me between root cause analysis and shallow cause analysis is that you know you have in shallow cause analysis you have no depth. You you, you stop at a broken part. And you, you blame the vendor or you change the vendor or you go ahead and you blame somebody for making a bad decision. So, you know, yep. if you're doing that, that's why your uh, RCA system is not meeting its expectations because you're, you're not getting to the true root causes of understanding why good people make bad decisions. Well, because that's hard, right? That, that becomes you've got to be honest with yourself as an organization. You've got to be open to the problem being the system and process in place and the culture and leadership in place as opposed to the part or the person, right? And, and one's easy to, to get to, and the other one takes a lot of put your ego aside and do what's right to get better as a company. Nobody really likes to do that, do they? Uh, you know, a good friend of mine, Bob Nelms, uh, with failsafe, uh, he uses the term introspection, and, and he talks about this a lot. And it, it really is. And I've been in this world uh, on the safety side for the last uh, probably five years, 
and, and delving into the safety side and understanding, you know, why, what, what do they believe about RCA? And uh, it's about you're not going to make any progress in any of this unless you look in the mirror and say that there's a chance I'm part of the problem. And I am a firm believer, especially after spending uh, three to five years now in the human performance and the human factors area of the safety communities. Uh, and and they, they get it. But let me put this in a different context. If you, if you look at a picture, picture in your mind, an hourglass, and in the center of it is the decision maker. Everything above that is going to be that when they make a decision, there's a consequence associated with it that you can see. And that, that's going to be the, the, the bearings that fail, the, uh, the shafts, the couplings, whatever, whatever happens to fail. It's because, you know, we, we misaligned it or, you know, we, we, uh, we turned the pressure up and we shouldn't have, whatever that might be. But those are all the physical, that's all the physical science stuff. That's all the stuff we can see because at the decision maker level, you can't see reasoning. So when you, when you go beneath that decision maker and then you start, instead of blaming them and you're looking at saying, you know, why would uh, uh, this person gets their check that feeds their family from this organization? They didn't wake up and say, I'm really going to screw up this plant today. Why did they think that the decision they made was appropriate at that time? That, that's where the, the, you know, root cause doesn't end with the person. It begins with it. And but that opens up to, if you're looking at that hourglass again, beneath the decision maker on the bottom side is everything to deal with the social sciences. Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, and that's with the uh, human factors and human performance and uh, human error reduction, all, all that kind of stuff. And that, that's the systems and the, you know, the latent contributions as to what, what, what people depend on to make good uh, information. They depend on good systems. And oftentimes our systems aren't good. So I, I think that a lot of this, uh, uh, I, I'm a big advocate. And, and in that last book, uh, I have a, a chapter or two on that about uh, the merging of the social sciences with the physical sciences, because engineers, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it on here, engineers suck at the social sciences. And the social scientists suck at physics. <laughs> so, um, so when you're, you, you have to really be a, a well-rounded facilitator to, uh, to be, and you know, in, in at least the world, uh, the prism of RCA through my eyes, is because you, you really have to have an appreciation for both, and you're questioning, uh, reg, uh, you're questioning uh, regiment for the physical side is much different because, uh, you know, everything in the physical world is for the most part determinable because of the physical sciences. But when you get down in the social sciences, the range is much wider as to why people would do what they do. Right. There's, there's a million variables versus a hundred. Yeah. And and you don't want it to look like an accusatory task of of trying to find out why people do that. And, you know, the big words today are psychological safety where people, uh, feel uh, open in an environment to be to be candid, uh, you know, to, to to say really what was going on with, you know, without it being career limiting. Yeah. So uh, that that's kind of a space that I really enjoy being in. And you, you may have seen on LinkedIn that uh, I, I participate in an organization until last week was called Human Perform HPRCT, which is Human Performance Root Cause and Trending. But they we've rebranded now I'm, I'm on their board we rebranded and it's the community of human and organizational learning yeah yeah I saw that. And, and i think and i think that that's uh and and you'll see me i'll be trying to solicit more maintenance and reliability people into this seemingly perceived uh safety world 
I think that uh, maintenance and reliability people need, need this kind of uh, exposure to the soft side as opposed to just dealing with a bunch of broken parts. Yeah, and, and vice versa, right? I mean, that cross-functionality, yeah. everybody's going to learn something. Yeah, because you know, safety generally starts with the person. Right. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not getting into you know uh, the fatigue, uh, an overload of a bearing, and trying to figure out why. They don't care about that. It's that you know this uh, this piece of equipment broke and it spewed out uh, hot acid all over this person, and uh, I'm not figuring out why that happened. I'm figuring why the person was there. Right. Why, why weren't they wearing their PPE? What did they do wrong? We had all these rules. Yeah. <laughs> that and and they're also worried about the machine and they're thinking you know how did this break you know how could we you know we're not to sound cold-hearted right because we do we don't want anybody to get hurt but our focus easily shifts to looking at the piece of equipment instead and when, when, when will we back up right that's what we're going through everybody's right. mind yeah because we got to get back up and running and we got to get you know and that's just the reality of it whether it sounds harsh or not um it, it kind of sucks but that's the reality right so but that, i mean that, those are in our world i mean the, the trade-offs between uh, production and reliability and safety they they happen every hour every day right people can say what they want but uh, you know when you when you take a shortcut and it works I mean, you're getting pats on the back, and uh, you know you're a hero. Uh, you're getting we, we celebrate that, right? And yeah. I think that's a big problem: is we celebrate failure instead of success. Well, and we don't. We think it's a success because it was temporal in that moment, but it was an actual failure on the organization's part, and we celebrate it, right? Well, you know, that's another. Uh, while I'm on my soapbox and getting my pet peeves out is we RCAs are primarily known for being reactive and that's because we have most organizations uh, you and I deal with have triggers that uh, say that when this threshold has been met dollars uh, injuries uh, fatalities whatever the case may be then you're going to do an RCA whether you like it or not because the suits are going to show up well yeah. that, that that's really too late because, uh, you know, there's, uh, it's a total reactionary use of RCA. And the thought process of going through why any undesirable outcome occurs is no different for a chronic failure as it is a sporadic failure like that. But more importantly, there's, there's no regulatory driver making you do a proactive RCA. Can and you share I, some examples? Because this yeah. is... This is awesome. I, I like to hear this. Uh, I think people would like to hear some examples of proactive root cause analysis. Well, for, uh, take for instance that uh, usually when you have, I'm going to talk about the uh, like near misses, chronic failures, and high risks. Sure. Uh, hold on. I'm writing it down so I don't forget it while I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I'm talking about chronic failures, and the reason I call them proactive is because they're under the radar of a, of a typical trigger. Yep. These, these are things that happen every shift. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it takes longer to uh, put it into your work order system or to your CMMS <laughs> than it does to go ahead and fix it. It's my, you know, it's my turn. It's my shift. It's, uh, it's my turn to do this. You know, like conveyor rollers <laughs> uh, yep. that, that have uh, quick, quick fixes. Well, on their individual occurrence, nobody cares because they're a cost of doing business. 
And the only people who know about them are the people that get really good at fixing them. And the leadership has no idea that they're going on and they're asked, they're not asking the right questions because they should, instead of giving them pats on the back for fixing it faster, they should be saying, why the hell are they getting so much practice? And that's right. where it be at. Uh, but when you look at a chronic failure and you do the simple calculation of frequency times the sum of impacts per occurrence, and, and that's like, uh, you know, downtime, labor, materials. Yeah. So every time it happens, it costs this much. The problem is it's happening 100 times a year. Now, that when you only when you aggregate that over a year will, will you see those kind of numbers because on its individual impact, it might cost you $300, $500, and nobody cares. You, do, you just have... That's what we would classify. Normally, these are things that we would classify as minor stops, yeah. right? And so the rollers is one thing that happens 100 times a year. You have the box jam that happens, you know, 3,000 times a year. Yeah. It's a culmination of all those things because your risk goes up every time you have an occurrence, right? I'll give you an, a sound example because it was in uh, my book in healthcare. I, I spent 20 years doing this in hospitals, which was an incentive to stay healthy. That when you, when we go in the emergency room and we go in and there's a, uh, they draw blood. And for whatever reason, whether, you know, when you look at the cycle of, a, of drawing blood, you know, they take, obviously they take it out of your arm. They got syringes and lures and vials, but that, then it's, it's going to be labeled and it's going to be transported to the lab. And then the lab has to, uh, you know, go through their process steps. Then a report comes out and it has to be notified to the doctor. Well, there's a lot of uh, chances in there for that, that sample to get messed up. Mm -hmm. So they, they refer to them as uh, redraws. So we, we were dealing with an average size hospital, about 250 bed hospital. And uh, we found out because we had a really good accounting person uh, that they gave us on our team who, who can get all the hard data you needed. And we found out that the average cost of a redraw with, with all of the uh, tech time, the real estate and the ER, the, the materials, all of that stuff was, uh, let, let me ask you all, take a guess. What would you think? Uh, per occurrence? Per occurrence. Uh, Cost of doing grand. No, no, not that much. But, you know, well, I mean, because all I'm doing is taking partial hours of people's time and oh, say, okay. say if you're held over in the emergency room for a half an hour, that, that what's the cost of that room in the, yeah. in the hour? All right. About three grand, I guess. Well, in their case, it was, it was $300 per occurrence. Okay. Now the the number of times per year was ten thousand. Oh wow! What? Wow! Oh my goodness! This this is going to the hospital again. This is a vetted case study that we were permitted to use. So that that's three million dollars a year. Wow! That's that's hidden in plain sight, and absolutely nobody questions. And how many of those? So I'm sure you can't really talk about this part of it. But how many of those ended up like? A mistake more than just a redraw <laughs> like like oh crap you're now diabetic bob here's your new medicine like like valid is that you know the majority of times it, it won't matter it will just cost time and efficiency but you may delay somebody's findings for a week and then you know you could have treated cancer uh um, you know a month earlier or a week earlier whatever the case may be yeah. So, you know, they don't, yeah, they're not going to publish stats like that. They, they, that industry doesn't do that. It's all sealed. Right. But 
that that's that's an example of what I mean as a chronic failure. And you could you guys could come up with a hundred of those in the plant that are buried and, and they're hidden in plain sight and that we just deal with them every day because we don't aggregate them over a year. Now, think about when you have near misses is because in my world, when you have a near miss, uh, it, doing an RCA becomes a choice. <laughs> and uh, ch chances are we're really busy. Uh, near miss to me means you got lucky. And uh, we're likely not going to do an RCA if we're not mandated to do an RCA. Yeah. But my, my point with that is that all of the systems that broke down that influenced that decision maker to take whatever action to do or not do in, in that situation, all those roots are still there, whether, whether you want to look at it or not. It's going to happen again if you choose not to look at it. Now, it may have not have been a high severity potential, but uh, the, you know, in a lot of cases they are. And, and we just neglect them because we say we didn't have to do an RCA, so we didn't. So nobody broke any rules. And I'm the, still the just worried about poor Mrs. Goldberg, who got my test results and got told she has cirrhosis of the liver. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one, George. But, but, I, but I, I, I won't pop open this beer that I have in, in memory of her now. But no, but I, I, I think that's a valid point. Is a lot of our focus is, as, at least from a maintenance perspective, reliability perspective is focused on discussing proactivity, but a lot of us don't seem to grasp exactly what it is, right? And, and in every realm, including root causes, there's a proactive side and a reactive side. Sure. Now, to be honest, I'm one of the guys that would set up triggers um, because most organizations I walk to don't even have those, right? right. So it was a place for us to start where we could start executing I'm against it. And I've never thought of it from a proactive standpoint. So for me, it's, it's a, a phenomenal thing to hear today, <laughs> you know, and make, make them think a lot. Right. Well, and those, uh, I apologize. <laughs> and, and those with the, uh, from a proactive standpoint, you will have people that will go ahead and try to challenge me. Well, you know that they really did happen, but I, I, they're proactive because nobody does anything about them. You have to, you have to choose to. Well, do it's something. still reactive. Well, you um, didn't wait for the biz. You didn't wait for the single. Like you talked earlier about it being incident, right? You, right. you didn't wait for a single incident to be so large that it. I don't want to put it in the wrong context, but it's so large that it impacted the business. I know all the small ones are impacting the business. Right. But usually those triggers are based on a much larger impact and not necessarily reoccurrence, not necessarily just the risk of the potential. Yeah. Impact, well, right? I think the action itself and putting those in place is more pro, you know, proactivity and reactivity is like a sliding scale is yep. the kind of the way I look at it. You can be more proactive by doing things, but, uh, it makes it less reactive, but it's still reactive in some sense until you get to a certain point, say on the PF curve to where it's all proactive, right? Um, or it's all reactive. Well, um, think, but, think in that case that I was just talking about that, uh, who cares about a $300 single redraw? Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, right, for but me, something, I guess, Joe's point is, I guess, like it, something drove you to say, this is the one we're going to look at. That thought came from data. And in that sense, it's reactive, but it's proactive in the sense that 
the culmination of all those things is a significant risk and significant impact yeah. to the business that is unseen, right? It's unseen. So you're proactively going after the unseen. Yeah, and, and, and if I want to hit the, the purest RCA person, which would probably people characterize me as truly proactive, is that there? Uh, why aren't we doing RCAs on unacceptable risks found in FMEAs and, and any other risk assessment tool? Right. See, that, that's what I'm thinking about, right, is what got me thinking is I was thinking at the time I'm putting in these triggers that I'm I'm doing good for the company. I'm not saying it's bad, right? right. It's good for the company. But the actions that we were taking were still reactive. It yeah. wasn't forethinking and more proactivity. We were still waiting for an incident to occur, like you said. Right. Um, and then reacting to it. Um, I guess that's kind of where I was going is it's it's uh, opened my eyes definitely to think about things a little differently. So that'll happen on the safety side occasionally, Joe, through a mm -hmm. HAZOP. Right. So they'll do right. a HAZOP, which is very similar to an FMEA. Yeah. And then if they come up with something that is a significant risk, they'll go through like a fault tree. Um to help develop, you know, how do we, how do we mitigate one of those? They're fall trees slightly different, not really, but slightly different than what we see on the mechanical side, but it's still incidents and triggers of those incidents. Right. And so they'll, they'll go through that to help mitigate potential safety risks. That's yeah. not necessarily adopted to that level on the maintenance side. Typically. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not. That That's what I'm saying is it's kind of mind blowing, right? It, it's a simple thing, but for me, Maybe it's my OCD. I don't know, but it's it's mind blowing to sit here and really think about doing root cause analysis proactively. And I guess for me, it's just kind of it's awesome. I love it because I love to sit and think, how can we improve and how can we do better things? And I know, Bob, you've been a voice of this for years, and uh, yeah, it's got to be frustrating to some point. <laughs> to wake people up to the fact that this, you know, it should be done, right? Uh, well, yeah, uh, with my background, uh, and you guys know my background and where my father and everybody came from, but I, I was, and I don't know whether it's it's conditioning the way that I grew up, but I mean, pro-action pro is kind of in my DNA, and, and I'm not impressed, and, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, I, I'm not impressed with people who become better first responders I'm the guy sitting on the backside saying, why did they have to respond at all? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, absolutely. Right. So that's which, which is pure proactivity, right? Yes. Because pure proactivity denotes no response needed. Yeah. I mean, so, the, the, it, it would be, it just makes logical sense is the, the, the more proactive we are, the, the less there is need, need for reaction. Right. Right. And, and the, the, the more RCAs you do, uh, proactively, you would think that the uh, rate of occurrences of the need to react would go down. That's phenomenal, man. But you really got me thinking now, and now I've got to sit and reevaluate. Because <laughs> I teach some of this stuff to people, right? And I want to make sure that I'm putting my best foot forward and teaching them the best way I know how. And so I honestly, Bob, I really appreciate I know this is just a little thing. 
but I really do appreciate this conversation. So, yeah, fine, fine. you know, <laughs> and you're right. Sometimes I, I, I wonder if I'm having any effect and, and I've been pushing this, you know, I've been pushing it for 35 years and my dad <laughs> was in, in the game since the sixties uh, trying to push it. And uh, you, you just feel like you don't make much headway uh, with, because still, you asked if any if anything has changed, but the majority of work that uh, comes to people like us is still because of reaction. Is that they have to, they have to somebody has to be killed or something? You know, so we've had to lost a lot of money uh, in order for us to uh, go ahead and say, well, you know, now now let's look in hindsight right. <laughs> and see what, what, what went on with that. And and rarely, uh, to be quite honest with you, do I find anything that's revelational in the system uh, deficiencies. Because everybody knew about them. They just lined yeah. up on a given day and bit you. Yep. All the variables came together. Yeah. Yep. And you're basically deconstructing that after the fact. Well, that's that's why I like my maintenance managers to be tarot card readers. Yeah. <laughs> so they can tell me when that's going to happen. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that's, uh, you, you brought up tarot. But when my father was uh, started the uh, reliability department, in 72 for allied which is honeywell today he, he, he tried to change the maintenance department name to uh to a tarot technology department and if you look up that's a european term but uh yeah, for life cycle it, cost yeah yeah yeah, yeah it, it teaches uh maintenance as a science and uh you know not not, not just a, a repair function yeah and it, it ties it into holistic of equipment process and human reliability well, of course, they thought, you know, that's just the crazy Italian again. And they let that ride. <laughs> One of the texts I had to read in if going for my master's degree was on tarot technology. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed that you, uh, you've heard of it because most people have never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when you go to school in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Bob, right. yeah, say you. Uh, it's been an awesome conversation. It really has. And we need to do this more. I, I just, you know, learning for people like you is things that get me excited. And and I really do appreciate your time. You know, and I, I know George appreciates it as well. And we just oh, thank you for taking the time. 